Hello, and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Okay. Well, hello and welcome. Oh, I'm so thankful that you're joining me for this episode. I know you're about to be thankful for it too. Um, today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined once again by author and fellow podcast host Kat Armas. You may remember that Kat was on the show back in May, uh, episode 19, I believe, where we talked all about her book, Abuelita Faith. Uh, about spiritual mothering, about the wisdom and perspective that marginalized women bring to the work of theology and spiritual formation, uh, and a bunch more. So go check out that episode next if you missed it the first time. Um, Let me introduce Kat to you officially for those of you who may not be familiar with her work. Kat Armas is a Cuban-American writer and speaker and the host of The Protagonistas podcast, where she highlights stories of everyday women of color, including writers, pastors, church leaders, and theologians. She is the author of Avalita Faith, What Women on the Margins Teach Us About Wisdom, Persistence, and Strength, which came out in 2021, and the author of Sacred Belonging, a 40-day devotional on the liberating heart of scripture, which released... Uh, or releases this month in September of 23. Kat has also written for Christianity Today, Sojourners Relevant, Christians for Biblical Equality, the Fuller Youth Institute, and Missio Alliance, uh, and, and more. She has an MDiv and MAT from Fuller Theological Seminary. She speaks regularly at conferences on race and justice, and she lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her family. Real quick, before we jump in, I just want to take a second to remind you guys that the Let It Matter podcast has a Patreon community, and we would love to have you join us there. For as little as $4 a month, partners get exclusive content like additional episodes, Bible study and spiritual formation teachings, and monthly matterings, access to monthly matterings, which is a private partners-only Zoom call with me. That happens monthly, and you guys, we just dive deeper into the episode topics from the episodes that have happened since the previous month's gathering. Um, we take space for to to um, share what's mattering most to us right then. We pray for one another. We spend time in sort of a, a, a meditation on our belovedness to God. It's just a really, really beautiful time. So want to, again, invite you guys as listeners, if you uh, want to support the show um, and also to build community around um, topics like this, just we would love to have you um, to get instant access, by the way, to all the past uh, spiritual formation teachings and bonus episodes and stuff, as well as future head over to patreon.com forward slash let it matter pod or let it matter.com forward slash podcast. Now let's get into the show. Okay, Kat Armas, thank you so much for joining me again. Welcome back to the Let It Matter podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I remember right before we recorded the last time, I got the email from you that said you had another book coming out. I think I had already pre-ordered it at that time. I was so excited, particularly on this subject. And so I just can't, I'm just... I loved, loved, loved the book. I did it daily. And uh, I was really had to stop myself from, uh, (laughs) from reading ahead. But um, I I've told you this, I think on social media before, but you are someone who's like your insights on and your interpretations of scripture are so consistently surprising and refreshing. Um, and reading this book helped me understand why that is, what it is about them that's surprising and refreshing. And that's essentially that you are 
decolonizing scripture and, and, um, you know, like that it's becoming a tool for liberation. And so in the introduction of the book, you invite us on a journey of what you call repatterning, reimagining and reweaving scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like to you to repattern, to reimagine and reweave? How, how, um, how do you engage that process? And, and um, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I do want to say I'm so happy that you did it daily, like how it's, uh, I guess, intended to be done. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) So, um, yeah. It was about all I had the bandwidth for. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, um, thank you for reading it and for engaging with it. Um, It was, yeah, an excruciating process to write, but it was so wonderful. And so to answer your question, the, you know, repatterning and reweaving, um, I think for me, this particularly my task in writing this book was to find the fun and surprising things in scripture that may be overlooked. And so in Awalita Faith, I wanted to find the people, the women that were overlooked. And in this right. uh, project, I wanted to find, yeah, just sort of the the things that the other sources of whether it's wisdom or the other sources of mm-hmm. ways to engage our humanity, things that, you know, may have been demonized in the dominant culture, right? Like looking at the, the cycles of yes. the moon or astrology or whatever it yes. is. I wanted to, um, yeah, I wanted to look at the Bible and kind of deconstruct a lot of these things, these boxes that we've stuck the Bible in or got in. And I wanted to say, well, what does the Mm -hmm. Bible really say about that? Right. Or what does the Bible speak to like the power of dreams or what does the Bible speak to, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these, um, I like to use the word fun because it is fun, right? Like it's fun to dig into, um, just these different things that we've never been told, um, whether we, whether they've been demonized or whether we've been told that are important or whether we've just completely like not, um, our attention has not been there. Right. And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to do in, in this project. And that was part of my process of repatterning and reweaving, um, just asking Mm -hmm. interesting, different, um, fun questions, and mm. seeing where scripture takes me and seeing where even just my lived experience, because um, I just have a lot of different yeah. stories of my life and not necessarily any of them are, some of them are just little random little anecdotes, right? Like a lot of them aren't necessarily mm-hmm. like my trauma or my family's trauma. Like I felt like a lot of Awalita yeah. faith was a lot of the difficult things my family <laughs> went through, but I thought, you know, hey, sure. how about this time? I just see how my different parts of my life and how and just the everyday average parts of my life interact with mm-hmm. the interesting, unique aspects of what it means to be human and how that's related yeah. to scripture. So, yeah. So you mentioned asking like fun questions of the text. And I'm, I'm curious, like if somebody's listening to this and they're like, man, you know, I did this 40 day thing. And by the way, Kat, while I was reading it, I just kept thinking to myself, please write a commentary, please write a commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I just oh. want a uh, a commentary on the whole Bible. Uh, no, no <laughs> pressure from you. But if somebody has that has that same sense, what are some mm-hmm. of the questions you like? What are some of the the tools I guess you have in your tool belt for for helping to maybe reframe a text that we've heard since Sunday school that's almost become either a cartoon or like a flattened two D version right. of it? Yeah. Um, well. I think a couple things. So you mentioned earlier about how, you know, I'm really trying to decolonize the text. And I think that that is something, you know, in Awalita Faith, I talk about how, you know, this notion of cognitive injustice and how, um, you know, we are to look at the different ways of being and knowing in the world, how other people make meaning of their existence, right? And so I wanted to sort of bring that mm-hmm. into this project. And so how do other people um, across the globe understand divinity or understand how or how would they read the text now this is of course you know there's different sections of the book so um i would say maybe this is in the wisdom section right where i talk about all the different um yeah the different ways Mm -hmm. that we can engage with the divine 
but yeah, I'm wanting to look at, and, and also maybe even creation, right? Like what are some indigenous ways of understanding yeah. or, or how have indigenous peoples across the globe understood creation and how does that intersect yeah. with the way God talks about creation, um, or the way that God talks about the natural world and, and bodies. Right? I, I noticed that in the right. the body section a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the feminine. Right. And so, yeah, there's, mm-hmm. I, I'm looking at um, how do, how do people across the globe with not, not necessarily Western and sometimes yes, Western. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a Western person. I can't like get away from that, but like sure. non-Western ways <laughs> sure. of viewing these things. Yeah. And also just, Ways that we're not, um, that we haven't been told to read the text. And so I wanted to sort of, even with stories that we've heard before, like the story of Jonah, you know, I, I read through it over and over and over again. And it's funny, when I first started, uh, I wanted to do something on the book of Jonah, because I know it's, that mm-hmm. story is just such a common story that we've heard over and over again. Like, it's just something that people kind of like, yeah, it is you know, whatever. Such a cartoon, though, in our mind. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I really, yeah. really, really wanted to wrestle with the story of Jonah. And so I read it over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And I remember I originally wanted to talk about, use that story to talk about creation. I wanted to say something about mm-hmm. fish or like something random. Mm-hmm. I was like, what can I find about fish or what can I find about creation yeah. in the story? And so I kept read- reading it over and over and over again. And it, that question kept sticking out to me. The question, you know, is your anger a good thing? And I'm like, man, mm. what a good question. Like, is your anger a good thing? Because, you know, it wasn't as if God was saying your anger is not a good thing. God was asking Jonah yeah. is, and it was multiple times. And so in that process of, you know, wait a minute, this question this is such a good question, you know, and that's where I really just began. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, let's, let's look at it from this angle. Is your question, I mean, is your anger a good thing? Mm-hmm. And so that was part of the process for me is, yeah, looking at, you know, other ways of being and knowing. And also reading it, you know, reading a story over and over again until something stood out to me that had nothing Mm. to do with, yeah, like what we've been told we're supposed to think about this story or the cartoonish, you know, very flattened whatever of the story. And so I think Mm -hmm. that that was a, it was a fun, you know, spiritual discipline for me really was to just like, no, what am I going to get, you know, new out of this? And I'm just going to keep reading it over and over and over until something stands out to me. And every time it did, you know, so um, yeah, it was, it was fun. That's really valuable. That's really valuable that you shared that because what, you know, what I heard you saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is I went into it looking for this one thing. And I let the text change my mind when another thing emerged. You didn't just try to muscle it and force it on it. You know what I mean? You probably could have found something about fish or the water or um, (laughs) something. You probably could have. But um, but that's a really helpful, just like a... um, insight, I guess, into if somebody's reading a text on their own, there's times that I'll read one and I'm like, I, f- I have it in my spirit. There's something more here. Right. And sometimes I have the time and the energy and the desire to, I mean, I'm in the Greek, I'm on Bible Hub, I'm on Bible Gateway, I've got my commentaries out, I'm right. just digging into it. And sometimes I'm like, almost instantly, the other day, I was reading about um, the widow of Nain. Mm-hmm. And Uh, I've never seen this in a commentary and I could totally be wrong, but I had just this instant feeling. It's just a few verses and it's only in one gospel. I had this instant feeling that Jesus happened upon this funeral procession, saw a woman who'd lost her husband and just freshly lost her son. And he saw Mary Mm, and thought, this is about to be my mom and I can Mm. do something about this one. I'm going to give this woman her son back. Like it, his, his, what he was moved with compassion was of course for her, but also like he knew what was coming down the pike and he knew that was about to be his mama. Um, And it, it made me go like, Jesus. <laughs> it's, I know there's parallels with Elijah. I know, right. you know, it, it's deeper in some ways, but, but there was just this feeling of like, Jesus couldn't stand that. And he acted, um, right. Rather than it being this plot, you know, I'm headed to right. Samaria so I can meet the woman at the well. He just happened on it and he was moved. Um, and, and I, that, that all hit me like at, in the time it took me to read the six verses or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
I was looking for, I was actually looking for the connections for the, cause right, I'm writing right. a series on resurrection. I was looking for, how does this relate to the widow of Nain? How does this relate to the Messiah? Right, right, All right. these things. Um, and so that is a helpful, yeah. a helpful sort of framework to let the text change your mind. If you're, if it wants yeah. to. <laughs> right. Um, and I think it's important as we read it and as we're, you know, kind of like, you know, what, what you're doing, like you're reading it from your like with all of the stories that you already have in your mind. And I think that that's a good thing. That's important. Like you already have all of this in there. And so as you're reading it, you're like interpreting and you're, you know, so even mm-hmm. that right there, like that interpretation that you did, I think that that is important to, to, you know, even tease that out. Like in the devotional, I, d- I talked about the story of, um, Oh my gosh, I don't remember. Uh, Samuel, the young Samuel, and uh, mm-hmm. and Eli- is it a, no, the young Samuel? Eli, Eli, Elijah, yes, Eli. I only know that story well because my brother's named after Samuel. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I wrote about it, so I should know. But my yeah. brain, anyway. So I, you know, I was re- again reading that story and the part where it says. Um, you know, during that time, like the word of the Lord was not, uh, was not known or was not like things were quiet. Like there wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that God wasn't speaking essentially is what the text says. And in that moment, I'm like, man, did they know that? Like, did they know, like, did they think that God, that, that that's it? Like God was done speaking. Mm -hmm. Like we know that because we're told that and then we, right. And then as we're reading the story, that's what we're interpreting into the story. But when that story Mm -hmm. was happening, like, did they know that? And so I was able to like sort of construct my entire, you know, reflection around this Mm -hmm. idea of like, did they know that or did they think that God was, was actually speaking? And then in, you know, when they look back, they're like, Oh, you know? And so that was something that was something that stood out to me in the story. Like, like, you know, if people write about us, you know, 2000 years from now, and they have all this other information that, you know, we Mm -hmm. maybe didn't have in a moment and then they're interpreting our reality, right? Because they have so much more information, but what about, our reality right now like what are the things that you know and so i love putting myself i think back even like yeah i think back even to like covid uh, my time hop will come up and it'll be like i'm saying oh my gosh i can't believe they're thinking this is going to last six weeks right you know what i mean and so now i have the hindsight but at the time while i'm in the story um i'm thinking the information i have is my gosh, six weeks sounds crazy. <laughs> and looking right. back, I'm like, Oh God, six weeks would have been, I mean, right. still hellacious, but so much better. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that, that you shared because, um, again, it's, it is a, it's a creative way of reading the text, but also there's, it reminded me of something. I think it was either on a podcast or it's in inspired by Rachel. Either Rachel said it or she wrote it. Rachel Held Evans. She was talking about how Jewish people, um, Jewish modern readers and even um, ancient Jewish readers, they don't just read the black marks on the page. They read the white spaces in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so asking questions like, did they know that at the time? Or asking questions like, you know, did Jesus plan to do that or was, did he just happen upon it? Who was he thinking about? Did Mary, had Mary lost Joseph? We don't know, but I think so, you know, to read the white spaces in the text and ask, Mm -hmm. even if you're not, I mean, nobody's saying become a heretic and develop, you know, whole new theologies from them, but ask questions of the text. And I think that's, that's really what I see in your work so much, which is, um, I wonder if we thought about it like this, you know, uh, which is great. So, my, moving on, I'm curious about the five themes you did choose. We mentioned them earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Each of the five themes, creation, spirit, the body, wisdom, and the feminine. How can each of those liberate scripture and us from colonized Western views? Yeah. So I think, you know, I, for example, creation. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, as we know, we so much of Christian history, um, colonized Christian history has ignored creation, has felt like, you know, our call is to dominate, right? Like have dominion to dominate creation. And we see the effects of that, you know, in our modern world with global warming and, you know, all of these just horrific things happening across the globe. And so I felt that Mm -hmm. it was important 
um, to highlight creation and how it, I mean, I could have written an entire book on it and people have, right. Mm -hmm. Of how God, you know, is so intimately connected to and through creation, um, from Genesis all the way to revelation. Um, and it's funny because as I was writing this and I looked at a lot of eco-feminism, uh, theology and eco-womanist theology and so much Mm -hmm. of the feminine, or excuse me, so much of creation was also connected to the feminine because of, mm. you know, the colonial mindset to dominate both women and nature. And in many ways, women and nature have been linked. Um, they've been like, you know, women in nature are spoken of as having the same sort of characteristics, right? Um, women are mm. talked of as being as nature, right? Mother so, nature, yeah. Right, right. And so it's a very yeah. close connection. So it was actually kind of hard for me when I was writing, because I wrote the creation section yeah. first. I sort of did it in the order that's in the book, actually. Oh. And when I got yeah. to the feminine section, I was like, I feel like I have nothing else left to say because so much of it is tied to creation. Um, but I thought it was a good way to kind of bookend the book that way because, um, yes, you know, it kind of, I think, comes full circle a little bit at the end. Um, yeah. As I talk about, you know, creation and, and um, you know, how the earth saves the woman in, in Revelation. And so I start with Genesis and I end with Revelation. But yeah, yeah. I think um, even that is a really important way to... Um, that's an important way to look at if you want to decolonize. And of course, you know, I'm looking through the lens of decolonization. You can look at, you know, you can do a devotional, you can write a book with so many different lenses. But for me, you know, this is my passion and this is what I think is important. But um, yeah. And so when you're looking at the feminine, you know, to decolonize your view of the feminine, your understanding Mm -hmm. of the feminine um, and how God, you know, inhabits both masculine and the feminine. And like, there's so much of that, um, in scripture as well. And I, you mm-hmm. know, I felt that it was important to like have people see that. And again, everything is connected to the Bible because I want people to be like, I want people to see like, this is all biblical, right? Like, I'm not just like saying anything, yes. which, you know, would be fine, yeah. but it's all there, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so, same thing with like spirit and the body and wisdom. I think the body is also a really important one. Sorry, did you want to say something? Well, really quick, just when you say spirit, you you put the note in the book, but uh, I want to make clear for listeners, we're talking about um, Holy Spirit. That is, um, you mentioned that that's, that is uh, a name that resonates more with you to say spirit mm-hmm. rather than like the Holy Spirit, sort of mm-hmm. a depersonalized version. So um, just so right, people know right. when we're talking about spirit, that's what you mean. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. In the book, I I do mention that that just spirit as like sort of a name, like a personal name, as opposed to Mm -hmm. the spirit, you know, um, cause it, yeah, it sort of disconnects us from, um, or when you, when you think of the earth, I like to, you know, give the earth pronouns or, you know, that Mm. way it feels more intimate, more personal. Um, because we all are part of creation and we all are part of, you know, same thing with the body, right? Like our body, talking about your body with, as if it was a per, like part of you and not an entity separate yes. from you, which is a lot of the times what we do. Um, but yeah. yeah, and I think the body was actually a really important one as well. I feel like, you know, when we're thinking through the lens of colonialism and decolonization, um, I mean, the body is one of mm-hmm. the most colonized, right, um, things, <laughs> if I can say it that Oof. way. Um, yes. The way that we view our bodies, the way that we view other bodies, the way that we view our own bodies, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of doing that research of how we subjugate control, like with diet culture, for example, we subjugate, mm-hmm. we control, we dominate our own bodies to make them fit, to make them do, to make them perform the way that we think we're, they're supposed to. And I feel like even that yeah. is a, is you know, stem from the colonial mindset to dominate, to coerce, to control. Um, and so I felt yes. like, you know, I, I really wanted to write this section on the body as a way to liberate our thinking of the body and also connected to scripture and say, look, Hey, God cares about the body. God, um, you know, if God didn't care about the body, Jesus would not have died a physical death. Right. <laughs> and resurrected right. as or, a physical or the incarnation on a, right. as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like these five sections for me were important um, in terms of, you know, kind of unlinking ourselves from colonial mm-hmm. ideology because these are all such colonial um, or things that colonization has 
try to control and dominate. Um, the same yeah. thing with wisdom, you know, I mean, if you read Awalita Faith, that is such a big part of my book on Awalita Faith is the notion of wisdom. And, yeah. um, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, uh, wh- where do we, you know, how do other people understand wisdom? Um, how do, you know, who gets to say what wisdom is, who gets to say who is wise. And so I wanted to, yes. um, yeah, play around with this notion of wisdom and what does the Bible tell us, you know, we can find wisdom. And it's actually in a lot of the places that have been demonized, as I mentioned earlier, right? Like the stars and the moon and, you know, the cycles of of time, even, Um, you know, God talks a lot about time. You know, there's a lot of verses about um, how God is beyond time or, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these sort of things when it comes to time. And I've been, my, my, actually my husband and I have been on a very, very intentional journey of decolonizing our relationship to time in the last Mm. several months. I mean, ever, even before that, since I started uh, writing this book, that was one of the big things that, you know, I need to change my relationship to time, how I understand time, how I understand Mm. linear time. And see time as cyclical, you know, um, we just moved out to a farm earlier this year, we wanted to like yeah. reconnect with the earth. And so we've been, you know, taking care of animals, and we've been, you know, just tending to the yes. land. And even that has changed our relationship to time, you know, it's become so seasonal. Um, and so these are all mm-hmm. things that, you know, our ancestors, these are all things that, um, ways that we can engage with God, ways we can engage with scripture um, in ways that our ancestors did in ways that are not Mm. necessarily tied to um, the colonial way of understanding. Yeah. So I just, you know, wanted to invite us to um, unlink from the ways that we've been told to be or the ways that we have always been and invite us to yeah, just think about our faith, our spirituality, think about mm-hmm. God in in new ways. And I did it and I did it in a devotional fashion because I, you know, I kind of wanted folks to to read a small piece of text, you know, not too yeah. long, and then just take it with them and think about it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just reflect on it. And um and yeah, and I wanted to reclaim that space because I know many of us, you know, read devotionals a ton probably growing up and then <laughs> felt really yeah feel really triggered by them now. And so (laughs) I wanted to, yeah, reclaim that space. But if you think about it, I mean, if you remove the word devotional, it's 40 essays, short little essays, um, uh, you know, comments on, on scripture and a little bit of memoir and um, insight. And then, and they're just digestible. Um, And you're exactly right. That was the fruit of what happened was I did take it with me. One of the things I've been thinking about the most since I finished reading it was actually in the conclusion. Well, Mm -hmm. there's several things, but in the conclusion, you talking, you talk about talking about the weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't know where you're located, but it's 105 still in Texas date stamp September 6th. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've just been miserable for six or seven weeks. And, uh, Mm. The weatherman tweeted something yesterday that was like uh, something about there's going to be four days of 100 plus. Oh, my gosh. I cussed him out in the replies. I was like, I'm so sick of your shit. If you don't stop this. (laughs) As if he's the Lord. Um, But but like, but I'll tell you when I really enjoy talking about it is in the fall and in the winter or when it rains. I feel exhilarated by the weather, which means, you know, my irritability and anger in this. (laughs) (laughs) also related to to the weather and so and that like grounds me in creation grounds me in today in the present in the time and uh and also i'm not kidding you there there's a day next week it's going to be a high of 80 and a low of 70 and the fact that it gives me something to look forward to also not just being present today but knowing oh i can get through today Right. And eventually it'll be that day and I'm going to sit outside naked and soak it all up. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. that was so helpful. I want to really quick. I know we don't have um, a ton of time, so we can't go through each of the five sections, but there were a mm-hmm. few that I, I, I two specifically, I want to ask you to talk about in the spirit section, um, the, mm-hmm. the day called native conversations where you talk about John one, one, can you mm-hmm. just unpack that your, the sort of translation and the, your discovery and how you interpret it? 
Yeah, so that um, verse was, or that chapter, that reflection was just so fun for me. Um, I, you know, I've, I'm constantly thinking about language, obviously, as as a bilingual person. And mm-hmm. um, when I first was introduced to, you know, anything pertaining to faith or spirituality, it was in Spanish, right, from my grandmother, right. And so, I, the way that I understood so many things in the Bible. Um, it was different. It was just different. It was a different way of um, processing so many of the things of God. And I think that was due yeah. to language. Obviously, you know, lived experience in my community and all of that. But sure. I think one of the primary things was language. And so the example that I give in um, in the reflection is in Spanish, in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning um, existed, the, well, obviously in Spanish, but in the beginning existed the verb and the word for word is verb, right? And so, yeah. but and then in English, it's in the beginning existed the word, right? Or in the beginning was the mm-hmm. word. And, you know, I, have, I find that to be such an important and mm-hmm. fascinating and beautiful thing because it, it's they're still translating the same word, right? The same right. Greek word, but you have an entirely different just way of of really seeing or understanding or just processing this word in Spanish than you do in English. And so, as uh, a young really kid, quick, sorry, I'm glad you said that because for half a second, my dumb mm-hmm. colonized brain went, "Oh, because they're translating from English because English is the norm." I mean, it's the Greek right, right, and then yeah. it's English and then any other translations get translated from English. Of course, that's not the case. Um, right. And so for anybody listening who just for a second, your brain may have done that <laughs> math. Um, I appreciate you clarifying that they are yeah. still translating the Greek word logos or logos. Exactly. So they're yeah. translating the Greek word logos into span like straight from greek you know from greek into Mm -hmm. spanish and from greek into english i mean that's really for every language you have experts in their own languages translating from the greek who also are experts in the greek and you know i that was always fascinating for me of how i mean if you think about it every single person who understands or who reads the bible in spanish understands jesus to be a verb like if you let that sit for Mm. a second Every single person who Spanish is their primary language understands Jesus as the verb. Which is a massive amount of people, more probably than English speakers, frankly. Yeah. Right. It's so many people, and it's such a difference in translation, (laughs) right? Mm. It's so different to understand Jesus as a verb than it is to understand Jesus as a word. And both are incredible. And that's what, you know, what I, what I talk about in the reflection, like, I love the idea of Jesus as a word. I do. I I love words. I think words are powerful and words are incredible Mm -hmm. and words are intimate and words are, you know, there's so many incredible things about words. And so Jesus as a word, I think is a, is a wonderful description of Jesus because words, I mean, they do so much. I mean, you read a book of words and it expands your universe. It connects you to, to, it helps you communicate. It connects you to people. I mean, words are incredible, but also Jesus as a verb as the action of God, like Jesus adds a a, a doing, you know, I think that also is equally as powerful. And I don't think we need to choose one translation over the other. I think, you know, the fact that there are these two very incredibly beautiful, powerful translations speaks to the, and this is what I write in the book, the expansive nature of both language and of scripture. And I think that we have to, you know, kind of hold both of those and and allow that to, to, you know, cause wonder and cause awe in us. And and that's what it, you know, it does. Yeah. I think going deeper, sorry, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. No, no, you, you can. Well, I was just, I was just going to say the first time I, that happened for me, um, I live in Texas. And so there's most signs are, there's a a Spanish translation, either smaller print or, you know, it's dual translated, especially in the area that I'm in. Um, And uh, a church had a big old banner that in English said worship services at nine mm-hmm. and in Spanish said adoración. I assume adoration mm-hmm. basically is right, I, I'm really, right. I'm a really big on language also. And so root words are really easy for me. <laughs> um, right, right. But, but worship had become synonymous with church service. Right. So to see it as adoration. Oh, yeah. that's what we're supposed to be doing here. Oh, that's what we're gathering to adore um, rather than gathering to church. 
you know what I mean? Right, or maybe right, not yeah. rather than in addition to, um, yeah, yeah. And, and even though you, I mean, you mentioned maybe one's not better than the other in terms of be, Jesus being a word or a verb. I think translating it as word has lent itself to the conflation of the Bible being right, the word exactly. of God versus Jesus being the word of God. There's all of this, uh, deifying of the Bible, I think right, because right. of a misunderstanding. Yep. <laughs> and so adding yeah. that context of the fact that it's also translated verb, nobody's going to say a, the Bible is a verb. Right, right. You know, no, definitely. I think yeah. that that's super important. And I write about that as well, because I think that, mm-hmm. you know, for so long, I, you know, believe that too. Right, right. Like, me, yeah, me too. The, yeah. Right. The Father, the Son, you know, like the Holy Bible, how, Holy I don't know how they say it, right? <laughs> yes. Um, instead of the Spirit. But yeah, no, totally. And I think that that's also a huge aspect of it as well. I think so mm-hmm. many people, you know, are also like triggered by this idea that like, you know, as you said, the Bible is like deified and like, yeah. the Bible is more important than Jesus in many, you know, <laughs> um, places and to many yes. people. Um, so I think, yeah changing it to the verb also kind of also allows us to step back from that viewpoint or step back from that misunderstanding of the word and realize like, no, that's definitely not what, what it's talking about. (laughs) You know, but you know, as I was doing my research on this, on, on the word logos, I think something else that I learned and that I, you know, that really shifted things for me even more. Mm-hmm. And it was that the word logos, which again is the word word translated mm-hmm. as word in English and verb in Spanish was first used in reference to cosmology. And this was like really exciting for me because, you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, like I, yes. I talk about cosmology and I talk about astrology and I talk about all these, all of these things that were so big and so important in the ancient world. And so right. you can see it even now in words like logos that it was first used in, in reference to cosmology to conceptualize the relationship between all things. So it's like mm. this incredible word that it's it's supposed to talk about how everything is connected, how the cosmos are connected, right? And then mm. later the Greeks used it to describe the relationship between all things as a sacred or divine process of dialogue. And this is where I got so excited because I'm like, wait a minute. So it's not just a com- it's not just a relationship between all things, but it's the fact that all things are in dialogue with one another. And then mm. that is who Jesus is, right? Like <laughs> he is called the logos, which is the thing that describes yes. the relationship, the conversation that all things the cosmos are having with each other. I mean, if that is not like the most beautiful <laughs> description of Jesus, I I really don't know what is. And I, since then, sorry, go ahead. No, I cried when I read that because what it did for me, in the same way that I was thinking about verb, I mean, uh, thinking about word, the, the word as right. more static and stodgy and rigid, right. conversation has nuance, dialogue has right. has a multitude of voices and perspectives and and, um, uh, you know, it has right. different tones people use. I mean, there's just all these right. different aspects that go into dialogue and conversation right, over right, right. word is just so singular. Right. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I and so I, Definitely. it felt so expansive. Right. And I think that's, that's it, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. thing, like that is what. That's the thing. Is- Right. Like that is what's so incredible. Like Jesus in the beginning was the conversation, right? In the beginning was the conversation between all things or among all things. And I think that Mm. that is the description of Jesus, right? As you mentioned, a conversation has nuance and a conversation is intimate. A conversation Mm. is expansive. A conversation, I mean, there's so many things about when you have a conversation, conversations change you, conversations, you know, um, and, and, in order to engage in a conversation, there's vulnerability There's, I mean, there's just so much, you know, in, in a real, true, genuine, like conversation. And so that yeah. to me was probably one of the most incredible things that I've learned, really that I learned in, in writing this book, one of my favorite bits of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it goes so perfectly with this idea that like, Jesus is a verb. Jesus is yes. also a word. I mean, there literally yes. is no singular thing that you can attach to the word logos like to describe what logos is which Mm -hmm. i think makes it so incredible and you know it's funny i was writing about this today and 
I was writing about, you know, because in this book, I talk about how language is just so wonderful. And, you know, there's so many beautiful things about language and, oh, I love yeah. language. And then as I've been reflecting in the last, you know, since I wrote this, mm-hmm. I, I started writing today about, well, maybe language on the flip side is really limiting. And maybe language is really like, mm-hmm. it separates us, you know, because of things like this, because an mm. entire group of people can read, you know, in the beginning was the logos and they mm-hmm. think the Bible. <laughs> and then right. another group of people, you know, the, the people who read logos and understand conversation can understand mm-hmm. in the beginning was the, co- like, what a difference, right? And what so maybe language, the flip side of language is that it, you know, maybe it, there is a, you know, a, a way that language, um, yeah, can harm us, right? Not mm. harm us, but can make things hard for us. I don't know what to do yeah. with that. Right. right. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know what to do with that. And I, that's something that I'm, I'm playing around with and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, just, yeah, play around with. And so, um, it's interesting yeah, that you thought- say that though, because when we were talking about the themes, I was thinking, I was going to say to, people. These aren't the only five themes that you could have chosen. There's not only five themes of of categories, uh, things that can be decolonized throughout scripture. You could pick a a host of things. And one of the things I was thinking about was language because- Uh, you know, because of the Babel and Pentecost of it all, because of the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even the way like speaking in tongues and, um, and prophecy and things that there are, there are churches, there are denominations, there are traditions, many of whom come out of the more either Puritan or church of England, the more white uh, or Anglo or European, um, traditions that don't, um, don't get big during church. You know what I mean? Don't right, express right, right. themselves. They're very buttoned up and, and tight right. and, and things like that. And, um, and exactly right. like you just said, I mean, I was reading the first nations version the other day mm-hmm. and I read the Lord's prayer in the first mm-hmm. nations version. And I was like, my God, <laughs> I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, it's in English, but translated, you know, through a, um, right. through a, yeah. a native perspective. And, uh, and so, as a tool, I love that you said that. I mean, obviously, not everybody speaks Spanish, um, mm-hmm. but if you can get a Spanish, if there's a way to access the Bible in multiple, not just translations, but mm-hmm. languages, um, right? That would be that's another tool in your belt. I was reading Scott McKnight's new translation of the New Testament. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He no, just put I it out. Read it. It's just no, it's just it. called the Second Testament, and it's just a new translation. Mm-hmm. And he ha- he translates John three sixteen as "For God so loves the cosmos." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a beautiful, a wildly different yeah. than right, what we think right. is the people in the world. Right. But if exactly. God so loves all of creation, all of the cosmos, right. that's a different. It's just. Um, I was so moved by that specific essay. Mm -hmm. The other one, and I know we're running short on time here, so we'll go quickly. In the wisdom section, genius loci. Oh, yeah. I actually just posted about that one. (laughs) I thought, I said, this is so cat. (laughs) This is so (laughs) her, this fresh take on this passage that I'm familiar with, but you shed this new light on it by weaving in other cultures and wisdom and tradition. Um, can you just really quickly talk about like what you mean by that phrase and then also the importance of creating and recognizing spaces, altars and uh, like right. rituals that ground us in the sacredness of a moment? Yeah. Yeah. So in that section, um, that's actually one of my, the most um, meaningful to me right now, that reflection. Mm. I think it was because I wrote it um, when I, I had just moved to a new city and a new home and, um, mm. man, I was really struggling. I was really strong. I was pregnant and I was lonely and I was just really struggling with making that place my home with finding mm-hmm. a sacredness in a space. Um, because, you know, spaces have always been very important to me and, and, you know, Miami as a city is so important to me and my grandmother's house right. and is so important to me. And so being so far away and, and you know, bringing a, a new kid and a new person into this world, I just felt mm-hmm. like, I need to ground myself. And, you know, one of my favorite um, bits of, or one of my favorite stories in scripture is the Genesis 28, when Jacob falls asleep and has a dream. Yes. And then, you know, he wakes up <clears throat> and he realizes, you know, 
God was here, but I didn't know it. And I've, mm-hmm. I've always thought about that. You know, I think about that all the time. Like how many places have I been or how many spaces have I been that God was there and I didn't know it. Well, mm-hmm. um, during that, you know, when I, when I talk about this reflection, I talk about when I had just moved and I, I go for a walk and my husband and I had started to make like a daily ritual of going on, on this walk and uh, on a walk to just get to know our neighborhood, get to know our city and all of that. And then, you know, we run into this elderly couple who we never saw again. And so the kind of Mm -hmm. like in in the, in the reflection of like, I talk about how we were like, were they angels? And we still to this day think that they might've been angels, but we never saw them again. But um, we run into this group of people and they, they introduce or into uh, this elderly couple they introduce us to our neighbors, literally every single one of our neighbors at that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was such a beautiful, sacred moment, sacred space, sacred um, thing, right? I, I really felt like after I, you know, we experienced that. And for the first time, it was like, you know, this, it really felt like home. I felt like I had, you know, started to build roots. I knew every single person who lived around me. And now, you know, we, we exchanged numbers and our dogs played and, man, I needed that, you know, after Mm -hmm. experiencing such loneliness and such sadness for, you know, a a little bit amount of time, I really felt like I needed that. And so the next morning I went outside and I, I built a little altar like Jacob did, you know, I put six stones and I sort of consecrated that moment because I didn't want to forget it because I knew I would, right. I knew (laughs) I would soon experience loneliness again, or I would soon get discouraged again, or I would soon forget that I had that beautiful, sacred moment. And so I built a little altar and that's become sort of like a a, a little mini ritual for me of building these altars. um, When I want to remember something, right. Um, Mm. Whether it's like a physical altar somewhere or if it's just, you know, I write it down or, you know, I put it on a, on a post-it or I, on a note on my phone, whatever it is, because I don't want to forget it. I think it's, you know, so important to create these altars of remembrance. And so, as I was writing this and doing this research on this book, um, I, I came upon this, this um, whether it was a quote, I don't remember what it was, by David White, and he's a poet and um, just he, uh, sort of a theologian. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, which just so blew my mind, it was the most beautiful thing. He talked about how um, the ancient belief that there's this, you know, wide held ancient belief. It's been known forever. And of course, in our Western mind, we don't, um, we aren't, most of us aren't really familiar with it. It's this widely held ancient belief that alongside people, places also have spirits. And so he describes the spirit of a place as this conversation, again, going back to this idea of conversation, but the Mm -hmm. conversation of elements that makes a place fully itself, which I think is just so beautiful, right? And he talks about how it's the intangible qualities, like it's the particular ambiance in that specific moment that you experienced sacredness in a place. So he talks about like, how did the breeze hit your skin in that moment? How did the earth feel beneath your feet? How did, you know, all of those like perfect and and particular and intentional dynamics Mm -hmm. that came into conversation to make that space sacred. And man, when I read that, I was like, that would, that's, that's, that's it. Right. Like that's it. So when we create these, yeah, when we create these or, or these altars of remembrance. And I thought about Jacob in Genesis 28, it wasn't just that, Oh God was here. It was, no, it was all of the things that made him mm-hmm. realize and recognize that, Oh God was here. Right. Yeah. And so I thought about, you know, me being out there and, 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 and the dogs and playing and the warmth of the air. I think it was like in June or July and it was just all the things that I remembered them. And and so, you know, it was in that, like that little altar that I had, I've since moved, which, you know, it's so sad, but the little altar that I created there, I mean, it wasn't just, Oh, that was a cool moment. It was, no, it was the ambiance. It was, you know, all of the things. And what I think is so incredible, you know, to kind of bring that even, even for even deeper is that that is what David White explains is the ancient definition, like the actual definition of the word genius. And we've heard it, right? Like the genius loci, like we've heard this, but I don't think many people like have really understood that's what it, that's what genius is. A genius is Mm. when all things come together in the perfect way they're supposed to come together to like 
just describe or just, um, yeah, just the, the conversation that makes a, a place or a space fully itself. And so that's the oh, ancient gosh. definition of genius. And when we think of the word genius, like we just think of like, oh, people with high IQs, Smart. right? <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. But what if we deepened our our understanding of the word genius, mm-hmm. you know, what, even not when we're not just talking about place, but when we're talking about people, right? Like if we take right. this into consideration. And so, you know, as I was writing this, this, um, this reflection, I, I thought, well, well, if that is what genius loci is, then what is human genius? And I sort of started playing with the idea that a, hu- a human genius is just that. It's the intersection where all the elements of our life join together, right? It's everything mm. that has shaped and formed us. Our ancestors, our landscape, our language, our grief, our joys, you know, our stories, everything. Our genius is the totality of our experiences, how they all, you know, are in <sighs> conversation together, existing. And what I love is that just like genius loci, it exists nowhere else on the planet, but in that specific moment, in that specific place, I feel like that's human genius, right? Like we, like nothing else can make up who we are in, you know, in the exact moment where we're living, the exact person that we are. It's, you know, all of our experiences together. And I just thought that that was so profound and so beautiful. And I also thought it was so in, in line with what we read in the Bible again about how you know, we were created in the in this divine image of how we were knit and formed in the womb. I mean, all of these, all of this, excuse me, all of this beautiful terminology. You know, all of this mm-hmm. beautiful language that the Bible uses. And I'm like, yes, like that is that is yes. genius. You know, the con- the mingling, the converging of, of all of that. And so, yeah, that was Man. sort of my reflection on that one. I mean, pfft. let's drop the mic and get out of here. Okay. Ugh, my thank you again to Kat for joining me for this episode. You can find her on Twitter and on Instagram at Kat underscore Armas. That's K-A-T underscore A-R-M-A-S. Or on her website at katarmas.com. I will link to these in the show notes as well. I would also love to invite you, if you're not already following this show on Instagram and on Twitter, um, please do so. One of my favorite things about making this podcast is interacting with you guys about the topics, the guests, current events, etc. Um, if you have feedback or comments on this episode, head over to our socials or to letitmatter.com forward slash contact, and you can send them, you know, sort of longer form there. On Instagram, we are at Let It Matter Podcast, and on Twitter, it's just at Let It Matter Pod. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our little tradition as we close out, I offer you this benediction from John O'Donohue's book, To Bless the Space Between Us, and it's called A Blessing of Angels. Let's pray. May the angels in their beauty bless you. May they turn toward you streams of blessing. May the angel of awakening stir your heart to come alive to the eternal within you, to all the invitations that quietly surround you. May the angel of healing turn your wounds into sources of refreshment. May the angel of the imagination enable you to stand on the true thresholds, at ease with your ambivalence, and drawn in new directions through the glow of your contradictions. May the angel of compassion open your eyes to the unseen suffering around you. May the angel of wildness disturb the places where your life is domesticated and safe, take you to the territories of true otherness, where all that is awkward in you can fall into its own rhythm. May the angel of Eros introduce you to the beauty of your senses, to celebrate your inheritance as a temple of the Holy Spirit. May the angel of justice disturb you to take the side of the poor and the wronged. May the angel of encouragement confirm you in worth and self-respect, that you may live with the dignity that presides in your soul. May the angel of death arrive only when your life is complete and you have brought every given gift to the threshold where its infinity can shine. May all the angels be your sheltering and joyful guardians. Amen.